0: Well, welcome to uh, Mosaic. If you're a guest uh, with us, my name's Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we are really pumped that you're with us. Last week, we started a new series called Getting Pastor Past, and last week, we talked specifically about breaking the labels that bind, and we talked about some of the, the negative labels, identity uh, issues that, that we come to accept about ourselves uh, that are lies and who we actually are in Christ, and it's so important. It's such a big issue. Um, to, to realize uh, that if you're in Christ, that, that you are not what you think you are. Um, and so if you missed it, I, w- I just encourage you to, to hop online. It's on our podcast. Uh, it's on our website, mosaiclincoln.com or .org. It's also in our app, because uh, it's such an important thing. Um, last week was a bit of kind of a feel-good message, though, and I have to warn you. Uh, the next couple of weeks get a little bit tougher and a little bit more challenging. And uh, this morning specifically, we're talking about uh, forgiving those who have hurt us. And uh, you know, last week, I, I was in talking about labels. Uh, you know, I, I, if you're here, uh, I told you the stories about me being bullied in middle school, and remember, you felt really bad for me. And um, well, after this morning, you're not going to feel bad for me anymore. Um, I had another label. Uh, I had another label that became attached by name uh, in middle school, especially on the other side of that bullying after I had grown a foot. Uh, and that was uh, Aaron the Hothead, and uh, I was absolutely Aaron the Hothead. And perhaps nowhere else did this come out more violently, <laughs> more clearly than on the basketball court. And I was, I was just always in fights all the time. I made the joke last week about being French and and about you know I should have known because you know whenever there's a fight I typically surrender. Um, but that actually was just a joke. It's actually not true. I, I was I was a fighter all the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I do, for the record, I do like berets and good wine and good cheese. So I didn't lie about that. But uh, I was a fighter. In fact, that video is really appropriate uh, to open up because that was, that's, that was a snapshot of a couple years of my life uh, around that time. And uh, on the basketball court, I was always getting into fights. And I would fight, get in fights with the other team. Uh, at times, I would get in fights with my own team and players on my own team. At um, times, I even got in fights with people in the crowd. And uh, I remember one particular night um, in Brainerd, Minnesota, and uh, I was, you know, on like the reserve or JV team, uh, and we were playing right before a very highly anticipated high school game, and both teams were rated in the state, and so the gym was packed out uh, for our game because everybody was there for the varsity game, but we played first, and it was a heated game, and I got into it with a couple players, and the coaches had to pull us off one another, and we didn't get kicked out of the game. We got technical fouls, but the crowd started getting like emotionally involved the further this went on, because uh, we were just in each other's face, and it was a really close game. And somewhere around halftime, uh, I noticed that the student section decided they didn't like me very much, uh, because every time I got the ball, they would boo. Um, and so uh, I would get the ball, and they'd just start shouting "boo," you know. And I'd pass it, and it would stop, and then I'd get the ball back, and "boo." And so we're going back and forth and back and forth. It was a really good game. And uh, I start jawing with some of the the people, the guys in the student section. We start going back and forth. And fourth quarter, things really start to get ugly. It's really getting intense. And we got up like four to six points. And so they got in foul trouble, and they were trying to get the ball back. So they just started fouling. I was the point guard, so I had the ball every time. So I'm getting booed every possession. Uh, And I'm feeding off of this, and every time I would score a basket, I would go to the student section. And just go like this. And be, co- I mean, colorful language going back and forth. And, uh, and so they started following me, uh, and I decided I wasn't going to pass the ball anymore because um, I kept going to the free throw line. So I'd be standing at the free throw line, and literally, it's like, Boo! You're a tool! You're a tool! Go home, you know? And uh, I had, honestly, probably the quarter of my life, uh, period of my life, as it goes to basketball. Um, I went, like, 13 of 14 free throws, and they could not get back in the game, and we ran away from them. And uh, I'm not particularly proud of this, but just to give you a picture of the kind of person I was, uh, after the game, you know, good game, good game, good game, screw you, whatever, you know, good game. Um, I went over to the student section and gave them uh, the double-fisted, single-finger salute all the way across, you know, shh, you know, just two middle fingers in the air. And uh, the place just was on fire, as you can about imagine. And uh, so much so that after the game, after the high school game, uh, my coach and a police escort had to escort me to the bus uh, through a crowd of people that wanted to kill me. Um, and I gained a reputation that night. I was, I was definitely Aaron the hothead. And, uh, but it wasn't just in basketball. Honestly, everything was a fight to me. I got in fights in the hallways. Uh, I, 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 was the, I told you I was bullied. Well, I grew a foot, and I became the bully. And I bullied underclassmen. Uh, everything was a fight. And uh, the truth is, even though a couple years later, God would do an incredible work in my life, um, so much so, like, when I tell stories like this, oftentimes people are like, what? I don't even see that. How is that possible? Um, Even though that happened, the truth is, I left a wake of hurt behind me. And we would move from Alexandria a couple years later to Lincoln, my junior year of high school. And um, a few years after that, I was up in Minnesota visiting some friends at Bethlehem University, and I ran into one of my classmates from... School, and we actually were in the same youth group and everything. And, uh, and I ran into this kid, I was like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? It's been like eight years. And without skipping a beat, he said, you made my life hell in middle school and high school. He said, you made my life hell, and I've never forgiven you. And he started listing off all these things that I had done. And honestly, it had been so long that I didn't even remember half of the stuff he was saying, but I believed it because I did stuff like that all the time. And so we actually, we reconnected. I pursued him on Facebook after that. Um, I was, it's not what I was expecting in seeing this kid. And, uh, you know, and I, just, I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I said, I'm embarrassed of the person that I was. And you have every right to be angry with me, and I hope you can find it in your heart someday to forgive me. And he graciously did forgive me, and, and we've kept in touch since then, and things are good. Um, but I wish I could stand here and pretend that forgiving people Uh, it's hard for other people, but not for me. It's it's their issue, I've moved on, Uh, not me. It's not a hard thing, but I'd be totally lying to you. Uh, In fact, it's really ironic that I'm up here giving this message this morning because this is one of those things that I don't do well naturally at all. In fact, when people hurt me, or especially if they hurt somebody I love, uh, I don't know about you, but my natural inclination is to cut them off like they never existed. I, I I can hold a grudge with the best of them. Uh, so I don't do this well. Maybe there's people who do this naturally really well, but I'm not one of those people. How about you? The truth is I don't meet very many people uh, who wouldn't be honest enough to say that somewhere along the line, somebody deeply hurt me. Right? Maybe it was something that happened years and years and years ago. Uh, maybe it was something that happened last week. Right? Or maybe it was something that happened once and you just carried that baggage for years and years and years. Um, or maybe it's one of those things that just keeps happening uh, over and over and over again, right? And sometimes one of the things I find, sometimes it's it's as simple as like a misunderstanding and a miscommunication between friends that it just seems the enemy uses in this way to drive a, a wedge between people that can last for years. Something that was relatively small can become such a, this huge thing. Or sometimes it's malicious and it was a very intentional very cruel thing uh, that someone did to you. In fact, given the number of people that are here, uh, it's pretty safe to bet that there are a number of people in this room uh, that, that you have a hurt, a wound that is right on the front of your heart. I mean, even as I talk about this, like you're just taking a deep breath. It's like, this is, this is going to be a hard one because there's a wound there and, and it's fresh. And so just so you know, I, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like this is, this is easy. Uh, Truth is, like, there are counselors that get paid good money to walk people through something like this, sometimes for years. Um, It's not easy, but it is so incredibly important. And fortunately for us, this is one of those things that is common, very common to the human experience. We're not the first people to go through something like that. So if you've been hurt, I mean... Take courage in knowing that this is, this is normal. In fact, there's this moment in Peter's life where Peter comes to Jesus, and Peter is apparently has somebody in his life who just keeps repeatedly hurting him. Right? This was not a one and done, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again type thing. But somebody in his life who just keeps betraying his trust and hurting him and hurting him and hurting him, and he's listening to Jesus, because Jesus is talking to this group of people about how two people make restitution when there's brokenness in the relationship. He's talking about this complica- kind of complicated process, and he's he talks about, you know, if, if there's brokenness there and one person's wrong the other, you should go to them first. And if they don't listen, then you bring in the church and these different things. And Peter's listening to this and thinking about this person in his life who just keeps betraying his trust and hurting him, and it's not adding up. And he's trying to figure out how these things kind of go together. And so he pulls Jesus aside, and Jesus gets down. There's a few people around, and he asks him a question. He says, Jesus, I heard what you said, but I've got a question for you. How many times do I have to forgive? How many times? How many times is it enough? At what point do I get to, when they wrong me and wrong me and wrong me, at what point do I get to just state the obvious that they're going to do it again, that they're not trustworthy, that they clearly are in the wrong, Right. at what point do I get to step back and kind of wash my hands of it and say, you know what, I've forgiven you enough, at this point I'm gonna, I'm just going to turn and walk away. At what point in this is... is, is, is is what number? Like, what number is enough? And, and, you know, he knew that Jesus was God, and so he's kind of expecting a spiritual answer, and so I think Peter's trying to kind of impress him. So he throws out a number. He says, well, what about seven times? Surely seven times is enough. And I think Peter is really thinking, he's being very generous in this situation. Because in Judaism, you just had to forgive somebody three times to show a spirit of forgiveness. So he's more than doubling that. Right? And he says, how many times is enough? Seven. Surely seven is enough times. Right? And in asking this question, Peter kind of lets, lets out the cat out of the bag that he's got a, kind of a misconception when it comes to forgiving people that I think a lot of us have. And, and that is that, that ultimately, forgiving somebody is for their benefit, the offender. That ultimately, they, they owe us. Right? You hear this in our language all the time, right? When you, when you say things like, they owe me an apology, They hurt me. They owe me. They are indebted to me. And so how generous of it is to me to to forgive them? Because they owe me, right? She owes me respect. He owes me love. They took my innocence. They owe me. They owe me appreciation. They owe me value. It's a debtor-debt relationship. And so Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times is enough? Surely seven times is enough. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus comes back to him and says, well, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I don't think that was like a literal after, like said that 78th time, you're free. He's saying, you're way off. It's way more than you're thinking. And then Jesus does what Jesus does best and he goes into a story. And it almost sounds like he's changing the subject, but he's not. And this is what he says. He says, verse 23, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king Who wanted to settle accounts with his servants? And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or 10,000 talents, depending on your translation, was brought to him. That's a lot of money. All right? Taking into consideration, 10,000 bags of gold, this was, or 10,000 talents, this is about 20 years' wages. In fact, if you took that amount of 10,000 bags of gold and you looked at it today, that's about, according to a couple places I looked, about $6 billion. Okay, so Jesus is painting a picture. I don't know how they do this because I'm not going to make $6 billion over the next 20 years. But, but his point is that this is a ridiculous amount of money. Right? This is incalculable. There's absolutely no way this guy could ever pay back this amount. He says 10,000 bags. And he says, uh, was brought to him. This guy was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. And this was a normal practice back then. Basically saying, I know he's not going to pay me back. There's no way. So basically sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell all their possessions, and then just bring me what you're able to get, and we'll call it even. Well, the servant fell on his knees before him. Desperately, he begs, be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. Right, And I think if we're standing there in the crowd as Jesus is sharing this, uh, because Jesus is perfect in every way and certainly had perfect comedic timing, uh, I think this was a punchline. Right? I think people actually erupted into laughter when this guy says, you know what, give me some time and I'll pay you back. I think they just burst out laughing. Because that's impossible. There's absolutely no way. And there's absolutely no way that the master is going to fall for this. Because it's an impossible amount of money. Right? He could win the ancient Israeli Powerball lottery <laughs> a number of times and still not even be close to being able to pay back this debt. And then we're told this. The servant's master took pity on him. And this key phrase, he canceled the debt. Canceled the debt and he let him go. And I think at this point there's this collective gasp. Like the the people listening to his story, they can't believe it. Like you've got to be kidding me. Do you have any idea how much money this is? And he just cancels it? All right, and... What kind of a man gets into this kind of debt? How foolish is he? He is not a good man. In fact, he's probably going to do this again. And, he, and the master just pardons him? All right, but that's what Jesus says. And then he goes on. So the servant, the master took pity on the servant, he lets him go. But when the servant went out, verse 28, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him, and he began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Exact same line, exact same plea for mercy. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said, You wicked servant! I canceled the, all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, we don't know exactly what's going through Peter's mind. It doesn't really tell us, but I would venture to guess about halfway through this story, it starts to dawn on Peter that this is not going in his direction. Um, Jesus is not answering his question in the way that he had hoped or what, what he had thought he would, right? Because he's thinking, "Look, I'm the victim. This person has hurt me a number of different times, right? I'm right. They're clearly in the wrong. I've forgiven them how many times, and now you know what? Now me and God are going to go issue some justice, right? Because he's just like us, right? I'm this way, right? I want when it comes to my failings and me being wrong, I want mercy." but I want justice for other people when they hurt me. I want mercy this way, but I want justice this way. And that's what Peter is thinking. And, and then Jesus tells the story and as it goes on, he starts to realize, ah, the master is God. And sure enough, that he is the wicked servant. And that he's been forgiven actually a lot. And what he's asking God to dish out some justice for is actually far less and the moral of the story, what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you gotta, you got to forgive him every single time. Every time. And, and if you don't, I'm coming for you. It's not going to go well for you. Right? And I think Peter's thinking, well, you, no, you don't get it. I'm the victim here. Did he miss that? I'm the victim. I'm the one that's been hurt a number of times. And, and, and I've already got an enemy. And now you're going to be my enemy, God? And, and, then, and then Jesus wraps it up with this statement. And honestly, I know I'm not supposed to say this as a pastor, this is one of those verses I wish I could delete from the Bible. This is how Jesus wraps up his story. Just to make sure that we don't miss the point that he started with, and then he told the story about it, this is how he wraps it up in verse 35. He says, This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive a brother or sister From the heart. End of parable. Right? And Peter is sorry he ever brought the subject up in the first place. Right? That that's heavy. And listen, I want to be, I want to be as sensitive as I know how. Because I know, because I know some of your stories, and and some of you I don't. I know that some of you have been hurt deeply. And the idea of forgiving somebody is about as ridiculous of an idea as it seems impossible. And if we could have coffee and you could share with us what you've been through and what was done to you, we would be so angry at that person and we would affirm that you have every right to be angry. And yet Jesus says, you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. Otherwise I'm coming for you. Which sounds cruel, right? Right? I mean, how, how can God do this? Does he know, really know, how deeply I've been hurt and what's been done to me? How can a good God say that? Why in the world should I forgive? And I think there's a lot of good reasons to forgive, but let me suggest to you what I believe is one of the primary reasons that God says this in such a threatening way. I think he knows that for you and I to refuse to forgive, is to essentially push the self-destruct button on our own life. That if we hold on to that anger and that hurt and that bitterness that comes with it, that it's just a matter of time that we shift into self-destruct mode. I've heard it described as it's essentially holding on to hurt is like holding on to a shard of glass. And the harder you hold on to it, the more pain that brings with it. And it doesn't help anybody. And it hurts us. Anne Lamott, who is a fantastic Christian writer, she she puts it really well. She says, you know, to refuse to forgive is essentially to eat rat poison and then wait for the rat to die. Because you carry that. That toxic bitterness and that anger. And it only hurts us. right? Because we're honestly refusing and refusing and refusing to forgive is essentially to chain yourself to that hurt to fasten yourself to it and drag it into every relationship. Relationship after relationship after relationship. And I I think our Heavenly Father loves you enough to say, you've got to forgive because I know what it does to you and I know what it does to the people around you. So how do we do that? right? Aaron, that's, that's great. Okay, I understand that. How in the world do I begin to forgive what's been done to me? Because I don't know where to start. I'm going to give you a few suggestions um, from the scriptures. And, and the first one might sound trite and it's not meant to, but first of all, you've got you to bring it to God in prayer. I know it's a good church answer. Pray about it. But I'm serious. Pray for that person. Specifically, pray for that person who hurts you. No pray that they get hemorrhoids or herpes or something like that or <laughs> get struck by lightning. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean like actually praying for God's blessing on their life, which can be a very hard thing to do. But listen to Colossians, or Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44. Uh, he says this, he says, look, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? This is our justice system, right? You take a shot at me, I'm going to take a shot at you. You betray me, don't expect me to do you any favors. Right? This was the Jewish system. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And he's saying, you've heard that said. And then Jesus says something that would have been so shocking, so revolutionary, so different, it would have floored them. He says, but I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? This shouldn't surprise us. This is coming from the guy who hung on a cross, and as he's dying, prays for the people who puts him there. And he says, that's, that's exactly what I'm calling you to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? And you might think, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, I hear you, but I, I want God to smite them. Right? I want him to bring a world of pain on this person. Uh, I don't want to pray for him, and that's okay. Like, I, I understand that. But I'm telling you, you take this first step of, uh, sometimes sometimes it takes the right actions to start to trigger the right feelings. And the truth is, if you're anything like me, if you wait until, to, to feel like it, you're going to be waiting a long time. Uh, you may never feel like it, and yet Jesus says you need to pray. Pray for those people. And I'm, I'm telling you if, you, if you do this, this small act of obedience, over time it won't happen immediately probably, but over time God will start stripping away that that bitterness and that anger. I've shared before uh, about my sister and some of the things she walked through when she was a teenager. When she was a teenager, she was with a guy named Chad. And uh, I hated Chad. As much as a Christian young man can hate another man, I hated him that much. Um, he, was, he physically beat up my sister all the time. He's physically abusive. And even though she is beautiful and he's uglier than sin... He had her convinced that he deserved better and she was so lucky to be with him. He introduced her to meth. He convinced her to get pregnant as a teenager. And his reasoning was, well, your family doesn't like me and if we have a baby together, they're going to have to accept me. So he convinced her to have a child as a teenager. And all, all the while, just beat the crap out of her. And I hated him. Um, I hated him. One night, um, Megan and I were engaged at this time. One night, uh, Rachel called and she said, you need to get out of the house right now. Called my parents. Said, Chad is on his way over. He's high. He's in a fit and I don't know what he's going to do. You need to get out of the house right now. And so they all got in the car and and left the house and uh, Megan called me to let me know what was going on. Uh, And I got in the car and I went to the house. And I took out um, one of my dad's three irons out of his golf bag. Uh, And I waited in the dark for chat. And I sat there for a long time and I thought about it. And I thought about the consequences of my actions. I thought about the woman that I was engaged to. I thought about prison. Uh, I thought about the fact that I was planning on going into ministry and uh, what this would mean for that. And uh, I waited for him. And I didn't move. And I didn't pray about it because I knew God was not in what I was about to do. But I didn't care. My thought was, you know what? If this gives my sister a chance at life, and so be it, I'm going to end this tonight. And by God's grace, Chad did not show up that night. And I waited for a long time, and he never showed up. And uh, shortly thereafter, Chad went to prison for a long time. And it was about that time that I heard a sermon, not all of that unlike this one, from a pastor talking about forgiving those who have hurt us or those that we love, and so i began praying for chad and at first it was through clenched teeth you know because what i wanted to pray was uh honestly my prayers up until that point had, had been you know if anything thank you god for giving him what he deserves may he rot in that jail cell forever and ever amen to your glory um <laughs> but i started praying for him and honestly I just prayed that God would do something in his life that's about all I could get out at that point point. and along the way uh, I learned that while he was in prison Chad met his dad for the first time and what ended up happening over time honestly is that uh, rather than having rage and anger towards him I started to feel really bad for this young man and uh truth is, he was set up to fail from day one. If you knew some of his story, poor guy didn't have a chance. And I started praying for him, and over time God started stripping me of that anger. And actually, I forgot about this until somebody asked me after first service, but I actually ran into him a couple months ago. And I was at the mill downtown, and sure enough, who was standing in front of me, But Chad. And uh, honestly, I didn't feel anything anger or anything towards him other than just hurt for him. And I'd love to tell you the end of this story is that Chad found Jesus and he got his life together and he became an upstanding citizen. Amen. Have a great day. Uh, That'd be a lie. Um, Truth is, I I don't really know how he's doing. But here's the thing. In praying for Chad, it didn't necessarily change Chad at all. But over time, what it did is it it changed me profoundly. And it might not happen overnight, but I promise you that you start praying for that person who has hurt you or someone you loved, And over time, God may not change them. He might not. But he will begin to change you. So step one is begin praying for them, for God's blessing on their life. Number two, uh, ask God to impress upon you how much you have been forgiven. Right, this is the discipline of, in religious terms, reflecting on the gospel. I mean, right, ask God to just open your eyes a little bit about the darkness that has characterized your story at times. Things that you have done, things that you have thought, and just how evil some of those things were, whether it be years ago, whether it be last night, or this morning for that matter. And it might not be pretty, but he'll show you. He will. This is what Colossians 3, 13 says. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And then it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Listen, forgiven people, forgive people. And It may not be easy, but you show me a person who absolutely refuses to extend grace to somebody else, and I will show you a man or a woman who has yet to come to grips with just how much grace they require. Because we are all broken and messed up. We are all that shattered piece of glass in our bad moments. And yet, God has forgiven us for each and every one of those sins if we're in Christ. Ask God to just impress upon you how much you've been forgiven. And grace, although it may not be easy, in your own mind and heart. Nobody will have to tell you anything. You'll know. That's the only appropriate response. How can you not forgive when God has forgiven you of so much? Because at the cross, honestly, we're all stripped of our right to refuse forgiveness to other people. So ask God to overwhelm you with His grace and to show you just how dark your own journey has been at times. Number three, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Uh, Don't wait uh, to ask to be uh, to forgive don't wait for someone to ask you to forgive but make that choice right listen forgiveness ultimately is a decision no matter how you feel no matter how much you hurt how angry you are how bitter you are and how how might how much we might affirm that that you feel all those feelings because we would too ultimately forgiveness is is a choice and it's up to you right the ball is in your court and, and you've got to make that choice to forgive ultimately what this means is is you are pulling back and taking away that debt that you have felt they owed you. And saying, you know what, just like the master in Jesus' story, I'm canceling the debt. And resolving in your heart that, you know what, they don't don't owe me anything. Not because they have have never done wrong, but because I've forgiven them. And I've forgiven them because Christ has forgiven me. One of the things that can be very helpful in this, just tangible, practical, is as you make that decision in here, is to do something with your hands that, that essentially seals that decision, that physically represents internally what you are doing. Um, one example of this is a, like a, a guy named, uh, if you heard of Charles Stanley, a very famous pastor. Um, he talks about this in one of his books, and he had a stepdad uh, who beat the crap out of him and his mom all the time. Stepdad came into the home when he was about nine, ten years old. He lost his father when he was 9 months old. And uh, this he was a mean drunk. And he used to beat uh, Charles' dad, uh, his mom, and Charles all the time. And Charles t- says uh, he actually had a loaded gun some nights next to his bed because he didn't know which man would be walking through the door. And there were a number of nights where he resolved that he was just going to end it, kill this guy. And as he began to... Kind of journey through this later in life and, and process his own anger and hurt. One of the things that he did is, is he just came to this conviction. God was just calling him out and he knew he had to forgive. And so one of the things that he did is he actually sat down in an empty chair because he knew he was so angry and so hurt that he couldn't do this face to face the first time. So he sat down in an empty chair and he just went down the list of forgiving his stepdad talking to this empty chair for everything that he did. And he just went down the list. I forgive you for slapping me at the dinner table. I forgive you for beating my mother repeatedly. I forgive you for when you belittled me and shamed me in front of my friends. I forgive you for when you refused to feed me uh, when I wasn't the boy that you wanted me to be. And, and he just went down the list. And he tells a story of how that began this healing process for him. And much later, he sat down a stepdad and, and they had that conversation. And he tells a story about his stepdad actually beginning to to weep and sharing with him that uh, his dad had been an abusive father. And his dream his whole life was to be a doctor. But when he graduated from high school, his dad wouldn't let him leave the farm. He made him stay and work. So he never got to pursue this dream. And he had been holding on to this anger his whole life, just totally, you know, pointing that at his, his stepfamily. And... Uh, and it was this destructive thing. And so they had this healing moment. But Charles talks about, you know what, we never were close. And he continued to be hurtful for the rest of his life. But I didn't carry that hurt anymore. Because I would forgiven him. And another thing that can be very helpful if you don't want to do that is, is actually writing down every incident of hurt from that person. Every single thing. And be as specific, by the way, be as specific as possible. You've got to. Don't just forgive in this general sense. I forgive them. But be specific. God has forgiven you for every little thing that you've done. If you're in Christ. Everything. Every incident. Not just forgiven in a general sense. Everything you've done. Everything you'll do. And he calls us to forgive in the same way. And so write down every incident. And it might be painful. But you write them down. Fold them up. Put it in an envelope. And write on that envelope. cancel make that choice You're just externally doing what internally you're doing to seal it and say, "You know what? They don't owe me anymore. I'm canceling the debt. Uh, I'm letting go. Now, a couple questions of clarification, okay. Um, every now and then it's not unlo- when you're talking about forgiveness, one of the questions that tends to come up uh, every now and then is, what if I'm in an abusive relationship right now? Uh, do I stay and forgive? No, no, you do not. All right, you get the heck out of Dodge and you forgive that punk from a distance. And then you email me. All right, listen, if you are in an abusive relationship, email me, aaron at mosaiclincoln.com. We have guys in this community who have guns and are barely saved. All right, they will do anything. (laughs) For 50 bucks, they'll do anything their pastor tells them to do. I'm kidding. Kind of. (laughs) Email me. Aaron at MosaicLincoln.com You get out of there. All right. Get out of there and you you can forgive him from a distance. But if we're talking about your safety, you don't stick around. Um, Another question, if I forgive them, uh, does that mean that I have to trust them? Absolutely not. Uh, There are people that God will call you to forgive that are not trustworthy. Um, There may need to be some boundaries that are set. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. Um, But it doesn't mean you have to trust them. And next week we're going to be talking about reconciliation. Um, And so we'll talk more about that. But for now, just know it doesn't necessarily mean that you just go running into an abusive or dysfunctional relationship like nothing ever happened. Uh, You can forgive them and still acknowledge the fact that maybe they're they're not trustworthy, or at least not yet. Uh, Lastly, I'll say this, number four. Uh, understand that while forgiveness is a choice, uh, ultimately healing, healing is a process. Healing is a process. And choosing to forgive starts that healing process. Um, it's not that unlike if you're physically wounded. All right, If I get hit by a car or whatever and I have a deep wound in my leg uh, that needs to be treated, uh, the truth is like there is no magic pill and there's no surgery or doctor in the world that can heal me immediately. Right? A, a doctor can, can begin to treat that wound, uh, but you and I both know like, there's, there's no instant healing. But there are things that you can do that begin to initiate that process of healing. And forgiveness is that. Right? It's very similar emotionally. That forgiveness is that catalyst that begins uh, the healing process. Now sometimes, right, when, you're, when you're physically wounded in a deep way, sometimes some of the things that the doctor does uh, causes as much pain as the original wound, right? Which is why, if you're laying in the hospital uh, and I have a gash in my leg, uh, I don't want anybody to touch it. I'm, I'm selfish in that moment, like I'm defensive. Uh, you know, doctor, I want you to heal it, but don't touch it. Um, but it needs to be addressed, right? And emotional healing is the exact same way, is that some of this is, and if you write out every incident and you ask God to bring to mind things that have been done to you, and every little pain and hurt, that is going to be an exceedingly hard and painful process. But it's necessary uh, to begin uh, that healing process. So the truth is, what we've got to get is time does not heal all wounds. Right. In fact, there's some wounds, physical wounds, if they don't go treated, it, it's terminal. It'll kill you in time. Right? Emotionally, it's the same way. Time does not heal all wounds. It has to be addressed. And forgiveness starts that that healing process. Um, and just so you know, it's so important to acknowledge it's a process because those moments will come when you feel that anger again. When you feel that bitterness, that resentment, those, something will happen that will just bring those emotions rushing back. That doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. Right? You've got to acknowledge that, that it is a process. Right? And in those moments, rather than becoming more angry and more bitter and more resentful, Use those moments as an opportunity to be reminded of how much you have been forgiven, how good God is, and that, you know what? I've forgiven them. I've canceled the debt. Uh, They may have hurt me, but they don't owe me anything anymore because I've forgiven. And um, if we'll do that, God's promise is, you know what? I will forgive you, and uh, I will begin to heal in a way that only I can. Um, So I know this is a hard message, but uh, it's so important. It's not easy, but it's so important. And uh, if you do this, I'm telling you, it might sound ridiculous, and it might sound far-fetched, and it might feel impossible, but God can, through the power of His Spirit, do a healing work in you that defies uh, common sense. He really can. And so let's bring this to God in prayer. Lord God, I pray for those people in this room that are gritting their teeth right now, and this is so hard to even think about. How in the world can I forgive that person after what they've done to me? And God, I, I ask, I pray over us as a community and those people that are here, and that's where they're at. That wound is so fresh and it's so deep that God, that as we choose to forgive, Despite how we might feel that through the power of your spirit that you would do what only you can do, which is far more than all we can ask or imagine, that you would heal us from the inside out in a way that only you can do. Lord God, we pray this as a community, as a broken people who require so much grace and forgiveness ourselves. We pray these things in your name. Amen.